0: It's an honor to be here with you. A few provisos. Uh, one is it's good I met a coach from Ileana Christian there and I see Kevin Pippen, a coach from Chicago Christian. I understand you're sitting quite a ways from each other. <laughs> so um, I went to Chicago Christian and I might have done some embarrassing things at a basketball game back in the day when we played Ileana. Um, but yeah, I'm a product of Christian higher edu- uh, Christian education i um, in the Chicagoland area, so it was always fun to have this teacher's convention because we got off school. But little did I know, 40 years later, I'd be presenting here. Um, a couple other uh, transparency things. Um, yeah, uh, so my wife is down in West Lafayette. My father-in-law lives there, and we drove in last night. Um, I had a door fundraising event that night. So I came into his house with my dress clothes on this morning. and drove up in my casual clothes. Only about an hour from here, I realized my dress shoes were in West Lafayette. So um, these are golf shoes. Um, awesome. um, so they were in my truck. Um, they're better than my tennis shoes. Um, so I just—some of you are going to notice that. It's going to bug you the whole time. Do that golf shoes. I'm a golf president. I'm guilty. Um, but Brenda and I, uh, Brenda your director of, of the conference, were at a Dort football game a couple of years ago sitting next to each other. She had Casey Biker, um, one of the students from this region. Uh, she came to cheer him on. We just got talking up in the stands during that game. And she said, you know, Dort's faced a lot of junk. And you've navigated it, it seems like from far away you've, you've navigated it interestingly and pretty well. Would you be willing to share that um, at some level with our convention? So that's really what it is. We came up with this title, Leading in Contentious Times. Um, yeah. I, we're just going to go there and talk about a lot of, of potentially ugly things. I really want this to be a back and forth with you about what are you facing in your school? I don't have any particular perfect wisdom on anything. Um, I've just got some stories and I'm sharing it with you and I wanna hear your stories. That's really what we're gonna do um, in this hour. But I think Brenda and I got talking about um, a particular speaker we had come to Dort. So we live in Iowa. Iowa has the caucuses, the first votes in the United States of the caucuses. So when I became president back in 2012, Uh, That was an election year, and so we said, you know what, we're going to invite every candidate, because they all want to come to Iowa and eat pork chops and stand on hay bales and tell them (laughs) why they're going to be a great president and whatever. So we've got this opportunity to bring candidates to campus, and I said, we're going to invite them all, and we did in 2012. We had all of them. In 2016, we had all of them. Uh, We did it again in 20. Uh, We do live in a pretty red area of a relatively red state, so we can't typically get the Democrats to come to campus. It's sort of not worth the diesel fuel to drive from Des Moines up to our corner of the world. But we beg Hillary and Bernie to come to campus. We just can't get them to come. But we did have President Trump, it was January of that year. Um, The caucuses were three or four weeks, hence we had already had Jeb Bush and Uh, Herman Cain, and we don't have them all. I mean, I've met all these people. They're all just people like us. Uh, Marco Rubio is really, really short, Um, (laughs) but he's a great guy. And uh, yeah, then candidate Trump came to campus. It was a Saturday morning. It was about 20 below zero. We had protesters outside, and um, yeah, he gave his speech and he rambled and rambled and rambled. Um, He ended his speech saying this way: "When I'm president, I'll work my ass off for you." That was how he ended his speech. I thought, you don't know your audience, but um, that was an interesting one. But in the middle of his speech, he said this. He said, I'm so popular, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they'd still vote for me. I'm sure you've heard that quote many times. If you look at it and didn't put a dork banner up behind President Trump when he said that, thankfully our marketing department knows what they're doing. But if you, if you YouTube that, that is Dort's stage. Um, where he said that, and I could feel every eye in the place right on the back of my head like I don't have a button to cut off his microphone. Um, as I walked home that day with my wife, and it was, a, it was a snowy morning, I remember it, and I said, You know, whatever grief I have to take about this for the next month will be worth it because he'll never be the presidential candidate after this. <laughs> so that tells you um, how good I am at predicting the future. Um, But that's just one. Um, When I first became president, the first decision I had to make, that was at the time at which the Affordable Care Act was coming into play. And we had a decision to make. That is to put uh, the morning after pill or the week after pill in our health plan, or I believe it was $12,000 a day was the penalty if you didn't have those in your health plan. Those were my choices, literally my first month as president. Put these pills in your health plan or $12,000 a day uh, penalty. Um, Yeah, what else do I have on my list? Um, uh, We'll skip that one for now. Uh, My first day as provost was our first varsity football game. Our faculty had voted 99 to one against starting football at Dort back in 2014. So my first job as provost was to implement the football program at Dort. Um, Yeah, we've had some contentious terminations at Dort over the the course of time. Maybe it doesn't happen in your institutions, but there's this guy, Satan, um, and he like roams around our campus and infects some of our employees sometimes, and they do dumb things, and they have to leave. That probably doesn't happen at your place, but we've had some really contentious, sad terminations on our campus. Um, Yeah, the rest of our athletic conference all plays games on Sunday. We don't. Um, Every time I go to our athletic conference meetings, I have to explain why our baseball team will not play games on Sunday, even if there's been tons of rainouts in the spring and they all want to fit into games. I don't know about your campus, some people um, on our campus think that the earth might be billions and billions of years old, some of them think it's only 15,000 years old, and sometimes we get into discussions around science classes on our campus, anybody else? Um, Yeah... This, this whole world of, of sexual sin and those kind of things. So, just to say, I've been there and um, I'm still standing. I think that's what Brenda said, you know. And there's probably people um, in this audience who face some of those things, either with your faculty, your donors, your parents, your students, your broader constituency. And we thought we could have a conversation on that topic today. And so, that's really, um, I guess, what I'm here to share with you. Um, I'm going to buzz forward a second. Kind of, uh, a presentation I gave, I was actually scheduled for chapel the day that Joe Biden was getting inaugurated. That was my day for chapel. And um, so I gave this presentation, I'm just gonna to go to the slides a second. Um, where I, first of all, I started chapel um, by praying for the new administration. Um, like Literally, it was 11 o'clock our time, which was 12 o'clock in Washington, D.C. As chapel began, he was taking the oath of office with the Bible. Um, so I just—I was giving this presentation, we opened up a prayer for the new administration, but then I presented on this, and this is some data um, from Pew that shows in our country, this is not a, a political conversation, but this just shows you the contentiousness at which we're having to run Christian schools in this world right now. So this is 1994, I apologize, let me get this out of the way a little bit, did I do? This is 1994. It shows, Pew Pew does a great job of research. Again, consistently liberal people, consistently conservative people, and then showing in the middle of the road person who might consider themselves a Democrat, middle of the road person who considers themselves a Republican in 1994. They, They redo this research every once in a while, so let me just show you what's happened to the world. 1999, everybody moved just a little bit, if you will, more liberal. 2004, actually, the media Republican, if we go back, is really the only one who moved a little bit more progressive liberal. 2011, the average Republican moved a little bit further to the right, a little bit more spread between the folks. 2015, the spread starts to grow. You see this becoming a little bimodal, if you will. 2017, A little bit more yet, and now look at the spread between 2017 between the average Democrat and the average Republican. It's significantly larger. There's 2000, or 1994. That's the spread between the average Republican and the average Democrat. Again, we're going to go political, we're going to like offend everybody this morning. We're going to go religion and politics and gender and That's what I'm here to help you with. I'm not here to make a a stand, I'm just here to help you through this. That was the average distance on a variety of social topics between the average Democrat and the average Republican back in 2014. That same yellow size, right? This yellow size is now four and a half times away from everybody. Like this is why we can't have a conversation over the fence in our backyard anymore. Mm -hmm. Much less at a school board meeting or at a parent-teacher conference, or this kind of thing. I mean, this is real for us, and this is the environment now 2017. You think it's lined come back together <laughs> in the last few Again, Pew hasn't redone their research yet, uh, but this is the world we live in, right? So again, I'm just going to throw these out there and, and keep the, the same. So 94 to 2017, as we watch these piles grow, and I am not telling you how I go. I'm not telling you anything. This is not about that, but just look at this. There's the median Republican, there's the median Democrat, but the the polls of this deal, right? And then they measured the politically engaged people. Like some of you like politics, but some of you really like politics, right? You're the politically engaged. So this was 94. Just the average person, average Democrat, average Republican, but then of all the ends, the the, the population group that would consider themselves really politically engaged, more spread there. there's the spread. It was about two and a half, two and three quarters times spread in 94, between the average Joe and the politically engaged person. In 2017, the overall population, basically everybody's politically engaged today. Or everybody's as crazy as the politically engaged people, you can term it either way. But that spread today is basically everybody and stuff. And again, this is just politics. We can go on to all, all kinds of other issues. And I think what we have to recognize are these things. The, the absolute polls. Right? There are people who right, if you say black, they say white. If you say white, they say black. And that's, again, not a skin color thing. That's just, if they say wet, you say dry kind of a thing. I mean, we're, we're really losing the ability, and this middle portion is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and that's just politics. So that's the environment which you've been called to lead a classroom, you've been called to lead a school, you've been called to call on donors, all of those kinds of things. Um, So I just want to point that out, that that you're not crazy um, when you feel like like the world is breaking apart in this. So let me just go back to the beginning of the presentation and we'll start again. But that's the world in which... I think this piece, I'm going to advocate for something that that we talk a little bit on our campus about a third way. Um, The wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of Christ um, is a third way. And I don't mean that to be a wishy-washy middle at all. But if you think about, if we watch the story of Christ and his his ministry, right? Consistently, Jesus was caught up by the Pharisees asking, "What about this? What about that? Right? Uh, what aboutism?" And Jesus always paused and said, "I'm not sure it's just like that or just like that. I think there's this other way." And that really comes from this passage in First Corinthians. This is at the beginning of First Corinthians. Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians, basically saying, "In your church, there's a lot of people trying to break you apart. Right? This people say follow this guy. This people follow this guy. This people." And then he has this little section. For the word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And I think that's something as Christians that we just need to pause on. It doesn't mean you're going to have the exact answer for any contentious issue on your campus because of this passage. But I do think that we can pause, almost as Christ did when he was confronted, right? They brought him the coin, said, should we pay taxes? No, they asked, should we pay taxes? He said, give me a coin. Whose visage is on this coin? Right, it's Caesar. And he said, pay to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar. And walked away. Like, everybody's like, what does that mean? And we've been spending, right, 2,000 years figuring out what that means in terms of our responsibility to the state and our ability to pay taxes. Jesus was always about confounding what seemed like easy answers. And I think more than anything else at Dort, as we've been able to to get through these contentious issues still standing, it's to just not get caught up in easy answers. Um, and I want to bring you some things out of the corporate world before I got into Christian higher education that I learned in the corporate world that I think gets to that as well. But I think to really keep your team in your building, in your fourth grade teaching group, praying on this regularly is to say, you know, God's wisdom is beyond this world. It, this world is perishable. That doesn't mean we don't use our rationality to think through contentious issues. That doesn't mean there aren't facts or there isn't science. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think consistently what I've seen in these patterns is like, wait, there's something else. And again, I'll just go to Trump. You know, my response, he was coming to campus, he was already a controversial figure. And people were already, our alumni were already hitting me with like, you should not let this person come to campus. And I wrote a letter and he said this. He said, I got three options. We live in Iowa. We have all these candidates that want to come eat pork chops and stand on hay bales. If I invite none of them, I don't think I'm doing my job to our George students in terms of getting them politically engaged. I think one of the besetting sins of the young generation is political apathy, because they watch people on television talk past each other all day, right? And if I don't invite these people to campus, our George students don't engage them. So I would think that's a mistake. So I don't want to do that. The two is I could pick as president to say, this person's a good Christian, they should come to campus. This person did that, they shouldn't come to campus. I could do that, but we'd lose our not-for-profit status because then we would be picking and choosing candidates. And the third option is invite them all under the same pretense and see what happens and trust our faculty and our students to open the word of God and discern who to vote for. So I put that out before he came to campus. To me, that's a little bit of an example of a third way. It's like, yes, this would be easy to not invite anybody. Yes, it would be cool, right, if you trust the president to choose or some committee to choose the right speakers, but that's illegal. So we go through this. After he spoke, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and again, I just sat and I said, what would I say to my 10-year-old grandkid? If I had a 10-year-old grandkid and they asked me, why did he say that? And I just wrote an email and I said, I, I have no earthly idea. Why he thought that that was appropriate to say um, to a group of people like this? But I completely trust our faculty and our students to discern on the basis of going to Scripture and figuring out what the responsible thing to do in this next election is, no matter what comes. And it's just like I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this. And I think that is a guide star on our campus, no matter what we face, is to be able to, to do it. And I think if you read First Corinthians one. Or Paul's going right at it, to say, your church is in the middle of this controversy where these people say, follow this person, this person, we're following Christ. We're following Christ. And I just, I won't say that, that one of you attempting to get through something contentious won't become that scapegoat, because organizationally, sometimes there are scapegoats, right? Um, yeah, um, this happened, you were, you, were, you were in that leadership role when it happened. But I do believe that if you're just consistent on that, you're going to be able to get through things um, slightly better. A couple of other examples. Um, You have heard it said, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. If you're dealing with a contentious issue, I would encourage you to open your Bible at 6 a.m. before you go into a meeting and just read the Sermon on the Mount, particularly those parts where it says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. You have heard it said right, um, about divorce. You have heard it said. Jesus continually goes after this It's not this and it's not that. There's there's a kingdom beyond it. On LGBTQ and same-sex marriage kinds of things on our campus, we have had a consistent message for almost 20 years now. Um, The woman caught in adultery. um, That story from Scripture. Which, like, if you're ever talking to somebody about like gay marriage again, bring this up. Say, remember the story about the woman caught in adultery? I wonder where the dude caught in adultery was. Mm -hmm. Like, people can't answer that why is that not a Bible? But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, but what Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you, come, and go and sin no more. That has been our stance um, on gender and sexuality, and it has served us well, because I think it's a great example of Jesus' words, and it's also that, I am not here to condemn you. And that's Jesus of all people, right? Like, <laughs> I'm certainly not here to condemn you as the president of the university or the vice president for student services. Come on. But there's a higher calling for your life. And our campus ministries continually says to students when they're coming in talking about these issues, where do you see Jesus in this? Um, and that's just been a question that students want to talk about this or that in their life. And we just ask them, where's Jesus? It's a, it's a question that pulls them back. And enables them to say, "Wait, I, I, I social media is telling me this. My, my hormones are telling me this. What's Jesus telling me?" And it's just been a really powerful. That neither do I condemn your and sin no more. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I've already hit that. Uh, sometimes you've heard it that Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Is that language familiar to people here? Right. That that truly it is. Right. I have not come to to be served, but to serve foot washing, all of those kinds of things. And if we're pointing young people to that, I just don't think that that's going to let them down. In fact, I'm st- staking my life on it, right? That's what the scriptures say. I don't know exactly what that means for a particular student in a particular, or your constituency on a particular issue. But if we're looking at that about a to of services we served, um, sin is a real thing in the world. And I think, um, I have an essay on this in one of our alumni magazines, I just don't hear the word sin all that much anymore. Um, I certainly don't hear it in Washington, D.C. The reality of sin and brokenness is, is one of the truest things in the world, right? It's, it's, that's the story of Scripture. If we're able to talk about sin, not sin as in you did something wrong in eighth period sin, but the brokenness of sin, right? When we look back at sexuality from 50 years ago, Right? And you would go into a garage and there would be pin-up girls in a garage and we'd be like, oh, but that's heterosexual, so it's not a problem. No, that's a problem. right? Our, our winking at um, immodesty and those kind of things set our hearts about sex off. Forty years ago, and only now are we waking up to it to say the residual effects of that are all the kinds of new things that we think are crazy. Now, the stuff that was bad back then, we've got to address that. And that's what I mean by the upside down computer. Walter Wink, and I am not sponsoring Walter Wink, I've only recently become aware of him. He's a theologian, he's kind of in that pacifist, Anabaptist tradition, but he's written a lot about Jesus in the third way. So if you're really interested in this, I encourage you on that subject. I have no idea what Walter Wink's other teachings are about theology. But this third way that, that sometimes I think as Christians we are, we are feeling like it's not our job, like onward Christian soldiers, right, that, that song, um, like we're not supposed to fight. And I, I would agree with that. And there's a really dangerous, I would say, stream right now going with this Christian nationalism. Um, that's a fight mentality. And I don't think we should participate in that. But then you've got the flight mentality of the Benedict Option, right? If you've heard, anybody read, read The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher, A really good book for you to read if you're in Christian education and, and guiding an institution. Um, St. Benedict um, and the Benedictines, really, they, they retreated to the monasteries um, during the height of kind of the Enlightenment and that kind of thing and kept the biblical tradition going and that's what Rosberg is getting out of the benedict option Maybe right now in culture it is not ours to conquer, but it is ours to be faithful. And but sometimes that can feel like a flight mentality where we're just Christians over here doing our little thing and nobody notices. Meanwhile the culture is going to hell. I'm not sure that a fight or a flight, and there's this third way, a confounding way in many ways, in terms of what Christ calls us to. So for what that's worth. Um, another passage that we've spent a lot of time with is, is leading peaceful and quiet lives um, and praying for those in authority. I, I think that, that again, um, teams and rulers and, and heads of school um, are in tough spots sometimes and so to pray for those uh, people but doing all we can to live peaceful and quiet lives and, and trying to get our students to understand what that means and it's not a flight away from culture but it's also not a going-out-and-conquering-culture kind of approach. So again, that's been kind of a a north star for us. Um, Again, I've only been in Christian education for about 15 years in leadership, but I spent about equal time in the corporate world before that. And Jim Collins wrote a book, Built to Last. He's also the author of Good to Great, but his first book, Built to Last, is probably one of the best books about If you haven't read this book and you're working at all in heads of school, I think you should talks about enduring companies. like He looks at companies that have been around for hundreds of years and looks at the markers of those companies and I would say the same about a Christian school that's been there for decades and how is it going to remain clear? And he really goes to core values and the mission, which isn't different, but in the core world, he talks about the tyranny of the or versus the brilliance of the and. And I think that's the third way kind of stuff that Jesus was aiming at. In terms of right, we're we supposed to do this or that. Well, you have heard it said, but I say to you, there's a higher way, a third way, a different way. And again, Jim Collins comes at that. And I, like me say, we use that in our corporate settings. Um, I did corporate consulting with a few companies. Really found that to be right. When an employee is saying, "Well, I can either you know serve the customer and keep them happy or lose money." Right, I'm going to give them a refund. Right? no wait there's a different way you can educate the customer to say today i'm going to give you a refund but if you would have handled the product this way we wouldn't have had to give you a refund and you would have been satisfied there's a way to do that without feeling like you're just falling over next decree um, again another book sorry a no book person but if you're looking for stuff beyond this presentation The book Leadership is an art, probably 25 years old. um, He helped run the the Herman Miller uh, Furniture Company for a long time, he was a trustee at Hope College for a long time in Fuller Theological Seminary, probably one of my favorite Christian writers on leadership. He defines leadership this way, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to to say thank you, and in between the two, the leader must become a servant and a debtor. What I really wanna focus on there is defining reality. And I think, as particularly heads of school, if that's your role, but if you're a teacher in your classroom, you're defining reality, right? So your students are walking in with, whether it's something about politics or something about sexuality or anything else, and they've got things to say because they've heard this, they say, this is the way we're going to talk about that in my classroom. I mean, you are the leader of your classroom. You get to define reality, like how we're going to talk about these things and that type of thing and continually point them. But if you're head of school, you're certainly in the process of defining reality. Saying, we're not going to talk about that or that. We're going to talk about it this way. And I think we can really control the narrative, if that makes sense, in terms of being able to do that and again. I think Max has some unbelievably great things um, to say. Um, let me talk to you about age of the earth and creation and something that my predecessor did. So I became provost in 2000. And in 2009, he said, Eric, someday people are going to start really wanting to talk in depth about creation, the age of the earth, and those types of things in terms of biology and chemistry courses at Dort and that type of thing. He said, right now, um, we don't have a crisis on our campus. But it's going to come someday and he says i think we need to have a task force get together we're going to get a few theology professors a few chemistry professors a few biology professors and you as the provost and me as the president we're going to spend a year thinking about how Dort is going to handle issues of creation creation science at the age of the earth i thought there's no crisis why would we do that he said, because it's going to come and i think that's the importance of looking ahead um, and i've got a few quotes up here um literally read a Christian education conference and I'm quoting from Machiavelli. there's a lot of irony there um, it, honestly if you love leadership and you've never actually read The Prince I would encourage you to do it. Machiavelli I was going to say he's a lot like Trump. Um, he does some good things but he's got a bad rap uh, but erase that from your memory. Um, Machiavelli we talk about being Machiavelli and yes, absolutely um, that fits because the prince is filled with a bunch of tactical things that leaders can do to manipulate people um, and I'll be honest with you, I raised four kids my wife and I talked about manipulating our kids all the time <laughs> and if you're a fourth grade teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about right? manipulation can be a very um, well, it's an ethical thing right? leaders manipulate that's what Max the is talking about defining reality, like you're manipulating your constituency to think in a certain paradigmatic way about what we're going to deal with at our school and, and this is one of my, my favorite quotes about leadership this is Machiavelli from the Prince thus it happens in matters of state for knowing afar off, 10 years from now this may blow up at our school which is only given a prudent man to do, the evils that are brewing they are easily cured But when, for want of such knowledge, they are allowed to grow so that everyone can recognize them, there is no remedy to be found. And my predecessor as president, I thought he was crazy. I'm like, dude, i got a lot of things to do today. I don't have to worry about sitting with a task group for a year talking about how we're going to think about creation science. I will tell you, I've shared that. It's a draft at Dort. We don't publish it on our website. We've hired every faculty member in biology and chemistry. Environmental studies, theology, and philosophy, and I've showed them that statement for the last fifteen years to say this is how God handles age of the Earth and creation stuff on our campus. Are you willing to abide by that? Yes. I, my bad. A stitch in time saves nine, right? Um, for want of a shoe, the race was lost. You know all these old, but this is what it's about, and. and Harvey McKay, absolutely not a Christian dude, um, but he's written a lot of of leadership books. He says, dig your well before you're thirsty. I just want to encourage school leaders here, uh, if you are kind of waiting to say, well, someday when an issue about sexuality blows up on our campus or age of the earth or name your poison, right? name your sin, then we'll deal with it. Now, the best time to talk about these issues is when there's not a crisis, because there's not two people standing in front of you who are going to be hurt because of (laughs) it. And I think if you're not, if you don't have, with your boards, with your heads of school, your leadership team, if you don't have a perspective on how you're gonna handle these things when they blow up, again, none of us could have seen um, the murder of George Floyd and how it was gonna land on our campuses, right? But if you 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 gotta do that work ahead of time. I just wanna encourage you to not get so bound up in the urgent of what's in front of you today, particularly heads of school, board members, those kinds of things to not put some of these policy statements out. Again, we're not posting them on our website so everybody can see them, but you're having the conversations when everybody's emotions are just lower and there's not two people standing in front of you. One of them's gonna lose a job if you have to decide it this way or that. And I just think that makes such a big difference. Um, again, Prince by Matthewville Who knew you were gonna to go to a conference? Maybe. Tips for Machiavelli. Um I'll skip through these, we've been through these already. Um, but let's do a little talk about it. All right. Questions that you have? Issues that, that this brings to mind? I've got some other material, but I, I really want to like hear what's in your head. Um, I'll leave up some controversy there. There's a good controversial slide to leave up. Um, but what's going through your head besides, I wish I would have gone to that other section well, on no, that. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Please. Thank you. Please. So do I understand what you're saying, that you you decided ahead of time, you looked down the road, what's coming and you sort of defined then who you would be and then you ran that through staff and said, this is worth, going to be the line you told, her. are you okay with it? As in, sure. is that what you just said? Yeah, um, let me talk about so it's creation. Like, do you teach it this way or not? Are you good? Yep. You can go, you can stay. Like, sure, no, I'll let me tell you a little bit more about that and that'll hopefully answer it. So... Again, this is in 2009. Uh, we got together, a task group, a couple biology professors, a couple chemistry, a couple of theology professors. No board members on the task force, but we told the board ahead of time they are going to do this. The president and myself. We just met and talked through, um, yeah, what it is that we should think about scripturally about the age of the earth and those kinds of things. And um, I can remember one of the task group members, a uh, great professor, he said, you know, I think the, the real key passage for us. On this whole issue is Joe 38 39. I was like, what? He goes, That's when Joe was getting all high and mighty with God saying, I got it all figured out. And God said, Sit down, you know, bro. <laughs> grab your groin because here we go. Um, and he said, You know, do you know anything about who I am as a creator, God? Do you know anything about where I keep all the snow that I send and the lightning and that kind of thing? I was like, I'm totally changed in the room. And then we got working on to say, You know what? Um, there's an awful lot of mystery. That's a word we use a lot at Dort about mystery, uh, particularly on this, on this question. Because I, I do think that um, we need to use science and those kinds of things. So our position is this, is that um, the only things that are important to talk about in terms of the age of the earth and creation are that God did it, God did it intentionally, not, you know, he didn't catch up to the randomness of it. He did it, and did it intentionally, that human beings are separate and distinct creation or anything else. We teach about naturalistic evolution, because our students are going to go to grad school, med school, and they're going to be faced with that as the dominant paradigm. But we disabuse any paradigm that doesn't start with God, and and is simply a naturalistic um, pretence. So that's what we've said in our thing. So all the faculty that were currently there participated in the building of it, and every faculty member we've hired since... So if a kid walks into freshman biology believing that the Earth is 12,000 years old or two billion years old, that professor's job is not to disabuse them of it. So professors regularly talk about, um, you know, kid believes it's it's a young Earth. Then they give him a telescope he said, "Look at that light. That's coming from 30 million light years away. Like we can verify that. That's like how we keep satellites in orbit, right? It's because we know the math." So how do you explain that? And this kid says, you know, well, God designed that 15,000 years ago with that light in motion because he wanted to display it that way. Okay, good. So you've got to answer questions that still record the science, but we're never going to tell you that's a wrong position to take. And that's how we answer <coughs> that. And, again, everybody participated in the process of building it, and everybody that's hired on since. And, and if you believe as a professor that your job is to convince all students that it's only 12,000 years old, that's not what we do at right? We teach them how to think, but not tells them what to think. And that's also been a, a little mantra that, that you bring. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. And again, that, like creation science was easy compared to sexuality. Uh, I guarantee mean, um, We had a similar process on sexuality as well. Creation science was like a tap in compared to uh, other questions. Uh, be helpful. How did you answer the sexuality question? <laughs> 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 that's easy no, That's fine. That's fine. Um, no, campus ministries and student services, we we, we do something we call the long game. You know, some kid that walks in and says, hey, I'm, I'm sexually attracted to the same sex. That didn't happen like since they became a freshman at DoorD. And we're not going to fix them all before they leave Dort. So like To start there, that's defining reality, right? It's like, no, we can't do that. But faithfulness, planting seeds, putting things in there that that God's going to germinate or not germinate in God's time. So we talk a lot about the long game um, on this. Uh, But we do believe that scripture is really quite clear um, about that there are two genders and that um, the act of, of sexual Activity is given to us by God to glorify him in a marriage between one man and one woman. Um, that's what we have said. And we try to be clear about it on our campus visit days. You know, when you come on a campus visit day, there's not like this big banner at door Putting that out there. But people are asking, right? When they come to your school, they're asking. They want to know that. And actually I'll study we have a master's degree, an online master's degree in social work. And a um, student applied. And then saw, dug into our policies and called us and said, looks like you guys are traditional in sexuality. I'm same-sex married. It probably shouldn't apply, huh? We said, no, probably shouldn't. Thanks for being honest. I'll find a program that fits me. Uh, To say that I wasn't, like, scared in the middle of that conversation, like when this person's asking, like, is this a lawsuit next week? Um, But so far, right, uh, the clarity with which you brought the person actually thanked us um, for it and said, I'll find a program that fits me. And I just believe that if we're, if we're um, honest about who we are and how we're going to do it, it's not that, I don't believe it this way, that because we're going to stand for what we believe God writing is going to bless that. That is not my an answer. But I think clarity, uh, I have gotten into less trouble in my career, both in the corporate world and in the Christian education world by being honest and upfront and clarifying with people rather than being uncertain. Because uncertainty to me, brings the wrong people to teach there, brings the wrong people to study there, and then, right, the Prince of Machiavelli, then you're posed. And, and I just think, so that's been our, um, let's see, but, you know, yeah, that's how we've handled sort of it in general. Um, and again, I can talk about pronouns, I can talk about other things all day long. I, it's not really, there's another session. Actually, tomorrow, Gavin and Claire um, awesome dude, is going to be presenting on LGBTQ. Specifically, I would encourage you if that's like why you came here. Um, I'm talking about general leadership, not, I'm no expert on any of this. Please. And you talk about the third way, and I agree with that, but when I look at that side, I <laughs> like that third way is probably going to be somewhere in the middle, but yet you still have. It's about this thin. Right, and so how do you engage, we I mean, can't even engage. The two extremes in that th- third way, do they want? And I guess, how do you engage those people that are, are the extremes? Yeah, um, we, we definitely, sorry, I'm just gonna check my time. Um, <coughs> a couple things about that. Um, let me just catch up to a thought I just had. Um, first of all, third way is not this middle of the road wishy washy, I think that that's. Um, second of all, one thing that I've had to, to stay, I would say personally healthy in leadership in this role, I've had to get my head around I think I grew up at a time in America where I actually thought that there was a progressive and I don't mean that from a left or right I, that human progress was going to end in terms of us ushering in the kingdom of God when we all got it right and we could all get along and figure it out and when we all got it right or whatever it's right. Um, and I think we got of read scripture differently. But it actually, this is really sad to say, but it's actually on a downward progression until Christ comes again. And if we put the ushering in of the kingdom of God, and I come from that old reformed tradition called transformationalists, um, that really does try to engage culture and make things better, and I think we need to do that. I'm not talking about, well, it's all going to hell anyway. I don't, I mean, that's not reform. And that's where I come from on where your school's at. But I think we got confused that we thought engaging culture and trying to, to, to bring Christ's truth to things that eventually everybody would understand it. And then once we got our stuff together, Christ would say, yeah, you got it. I'm coming back now. <laughs> and I do think that there is a downward trajectory if you read scripture that this is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's the only thing that gets me out of bed no more. Um, is, is realizing that no matter what our policies are at the order, no matter how silver my tongue is to talk to donors and trustees I am not ushering in the kingdom of God that, that I am just called to be faithful um, and if some controversy blows up the door that, that cost me my job because I felt like I'm being faithful, okay um, is that because it is really, really a thin third way and there are people. We had an internet troll um, after us for about seven years. Created a website. Um, basically took things that I wrote, and more than that, passages from our campus chaplain, and grabbed this sentence and that sentence and put them together and made it look like our campus chaplain was Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. And it was a website, and, it was, and I was getting calls from all over the country saying, oh, it looks like Burt's totally losing his mind. The dean of chapel is... You know, saying this and that, and it's like it tested my my soul um, because it was it was just not good journalism. But it, but it was fierce as journalism. And for about seven years, um, we just said, you know what? We're not going to respond. We're not going to respond. And and now that's gone. And it might come back up. Um, but that person, I would say, is way over on the right, and I'm not going to. And, and, and he was saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing this because I love Dorn and I don't want to see it go, go crazy. It's like, I don't think you understand Dorn enough to love it. And, and we just had to part ways. And, and I think we've had to part ways with a few... Again, yeah, I'm just getting into politics I don't want to do that. But there are people who are going to read our view on sexuality and say, I can't participate there. And that grieves me, but it is what it is. So, so realizing that it is a pretty thin middle... Um, but being faithful in that and trying to, trying to you know, live such peaceful lives um, that you bring more people. Again, not into a middle left-right, not into a middle, but does that help in any way? Well, I guess my concern is that is that when that, that middle line is thinner and thinner, I mean, I almost feel like we're putting our the future of our schools at risk because we start to take some of these positions, we're gonna to start to alienate more on either, I mean, not that we're in the middle, but but we're gonna alienate people and when do we say, okay, well, sorry, you can't be a part of this. Well, that's, I kind of you say, see, the future, is the future gonna be in 10 years, we're not gonna be around because we've alienated everyone. Yeah. No, it's a great question. I remember asking that question in 2010 of my predecessor. I was provost at the time, Dr. for my predecessor was president. I basically asked that question. I said, you know, it was a bunch of schools were going crazy with online education back then and we were facing pressures there, and it was, you know, age of the earth, sex route, and like, Dude, there's only like 20 people that want all we want. And he goes, then we'll close. I said, if what this place was founded on, to provide this kind of an education built upon God's word, and if it's true that really only 20 people want it and we can't afford to run to 20 people, then we shut the lights off and go away. And I was like stunned. I'm like, wait, I just sold my company to come be provost here. Like, it's not closing. But he taught me something about that, that I think we're called the faithfulness. And again, what that means in terms of your local context, I, I get it. There are schools that have gone away, but I... I just don't believe I, that, that God has called us to say acquiesce or change or be who you. I, I'm not calling you to be because the market is going in that direction. I'm not sure about that. It's it's it's, but that's what one of my mentors told me, and I remember being stunned by that question. Now I will say at least what I'm hearing in the short run is the exact opposite, um, and I'm seeing a lot of things. I'm, Sorry, my. how many people have I offended already? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just tell you about our athletic conference. Um, we, we're in the Great Plains Athletic Conference. Um, 13, Twelve faith-based schools throughout the Nebraska, South Dakota, and Iowa. Um, and there's only two of them, Northwestern and Dorothy, we all play our competitions on Sunday, so they kind of look at us a little bit as odd. We're all faith-based, but some of them are like faith-based from 120 years ago. I don't you know what that means. That, I'm not judging them, but... 18 months ago, I started to have a conversation about transgendered athletes in our athletic conference, and I couldn't even get it on the agenda. And I wasn't worried about Dort students, but I was worried about if Dort someday had to play against two transgender athletes, um, that it would become a controversy. And I didn't want it to be. I was trying to dig our well before we were thirsty at the athletic conference level just to say, how would we handle it? Um, and the only thing that they asked me was, well, if we tell my transgender athlete, are you going to play us? And at that moment, I said, yes. He said that. That does nobody any good. Um, but 18 months ago, that was all we could talk about. 12 months ago, tried to get it on the agenda again, couldn't. Six months ago, um, couldn't. We met two weeks ago. All the presidents were interested in talking about it. And I, I don't know what that means exactly. We haven't solved it yet in terms of our athletic conference. But I do have a sense that the pendulum on that issue... Is really swinging in a way that I'm surprised about. I kind of thought it would just go forever in direction. And I'm talking more about trans now than I am about same-sex marriage. Wow, why did I come here today? <laughs> there is no live tweeting. <laughs> um, but I also feel that way in terms of in terms of. I do believe that you know I, I, I regularly use from my own devotions the passages that say. Um, in daylight, light, we see light. Uh, the law of the Lord is good and right, it refreshes the soul. That's the only way I can get out of bed sometimes because I do see it, it that thinner and thinner and thinner. But then, faithfulness, faithfulness. And I'm not, it's not a prosperity gospel thing, but I'm seeing a resurgence right now where parents are like, this is worth it. Um, in our state, we've got our governor who wants to do school vouchers. I'm not sure if that's a good thing long term or not for, for Christian schools. Indiana people here, right? <laughs> it's a good and a bad. It's great. It's challenging. <laughs> but it challenges you in new ways, right? It does. So you gotta have you dig your well before your thirsty conversations, right? In real time when you've got lots of people. Hi Pete, how are you? I'm good. Good. <laughs> good. Oh like, wow, I cannot believe the people that are in this room that I'm speaking to you. It's crazy. Um anyway. What was the question? Athletic <laughs> conference. Athletic conference, yeah. So I'm seeing a resurgence where all of a sudden are all the presidents want to talk about it. And that's on trans, not same-sex marriage. That's a different deal than athletic conference. But I'm seeing a pendulum swing. I'm seeing more people going almost, and this is the Benedict option, that all of a sudden once the Enlightenment, I think I have this history right, because there's better people on it, and I've got the, the epochs wrong. But the Benedictines were kind of in their monasteries, continuing to focus on it. And when the rationalism, the Enlightenment went away, all of a sudden, they had kept it. I kind of feel like we're in that moment now at Christian schools, is that people are going to come back and say, wait, that's the kind of school I want my kid in. Um, and we might see a resurgence soon again. If we, if we don't, we don't. Um, but eventually, Christ will show up and we get it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts? Questions? Things? Please. I, I think one of the most contentious things um, that I've experienced in my years in education was the Return to Learn plan oh. in 20, uh, 2020, 2021. And I, I sort of begin by thanking you for, um, I, I, we, we used a lot of the stuff that you had that had been shared with us that you did, so thank you for your You're work welcome. on that. Would you be willing to share with us some things that you learned um, going through that whole process from closing down the campus to opening back up and? I, I'm sure that was a, another thing you haven't addressed, but if you could share some a oh, sure. so things you learned and no, processed great. through that, sure. Um, so it reminds me of something. You guys know who Patrick Lencioni is? Yeah. 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 If you not if you're like leading a team and you don't know, um, yeah, the five temptations of a CEO, or particularly the five dysfunctions of a team. We have focused, and it's taken us all. It's taken me ten years on our team, but this issue of Productive, a productive conflict versus artificial harmony. Like, engendering that in a leadership team will get you through contentious times. It's still, a funny story, literally. One of my guys who was our crisis manager, and we were having a meeting, a, a CSI case meeting on our campus at my home the day, the, we had a two day meeting. And our crisis manager, it was the start, we over spring break, and he said, I'm going to get the group together tomorrow to we'll start talking about it. I'm seeing this little flu bug that's coming around. Like, we have a mouse plan, and da da, da. i am like, okay, whatever. And by the end of that day, he called me he says, I really think this is a real deal. We might need to close. I'm like, we are not closing. Like I said, it's on a Monday night, I believe, or a Tuesday night. I'm like, that's crazy. By Wednesday night, we're closed. Like, I was totally, like, in, didn't know it was even a thing on Tuesday night and I was fighting with our crisis manager about it, because he's, he's a good crisis manager, he thinks like everything's a crisis, That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, let's just wait it out, but to have that like trust between each other, he came after me, he's like, no, and literally our choir was on the outskirts of New York City about to go to Broadway, for two days of just sightseeing and Broadway, that's where it was. Because of all the ha- uh, airports in New York City, like they would have come back with a bus full of bugs, right? and we pulled them back. Um, so that was that was the start of it. And like we said, yeah, go home for two weeks. and come back after Easter. That was our initial communication. Like how wrong was that? And so being humble enough to come back and say. And for whatever reason, God gave us the ability early on to say, we do not know everything. We did not try to take a, we guarantee this will happen approach. And I think that that's a little wishy-washy, but I think it helped us a lot in that we weren't guaranteeing anything. Um, in June, we put out a, a deal to all our students. We were opening up in August. And two hours later, my board chair called. She said, we talk about this? Oops. <laughs> I didn't tell my board chair. Huge mistake. Um, we got through it, but literally I had not told my board chair that we were opening. I just figured, well, of course we're opening. Um, again, we were in Iowa where our governor was different than other governors. I'll just say that. <laughs> so we felt like, um, but yeah. Um, having, didn't hear well before Thursday? I have I have a cell phone number of our governor. I got it like three years before at one time at an event. And like I texted her in July when we didn't have testing yet. And I said, "Listen, I'm out on the limb here. We're opening up in two weeks, and I don't have tests. In 24 hours, we had tests on our campus because I could text the governor. And that's just like dig your own well before you thirst. Like you have a responsibility to build a network if you're head of school. Again, I that kind of thing. Um, we had a daily that fall. We met every day with our leadership team for 15 minutes to pray first and to check in on what was blowing up or not blowing up." Um, if I'm helping at all, um, humility. Telling you, I don't know. We're in a lot of uncertainty. It's kind of that same thing about mystery. I think, uh, and it sounds so horrible when I say there's a lot of mystery in God's in God's world about creation, but there is, or about a lot of things. Um, but holding that was one thing that I think brought us through COVID pretty well. Uh, but I think we had also built a lot of communication and trust long before the thing ever happened with a lot of communities. I mean, Dort's just a weird place and that people are so loyal and give us a default of trust that, that we were already, we had a pretty good well done before. I'm trying to think of other things that would be about COVID in particular. You know, my daughter was a senior, junior that year. She's like, you know, dad, when all the adults leave at four o'clock, we don't wear masks, right? Yeah, I know. Um, you know, so trying—you can't control everything. Um, that was that was a one, one learning. Um, and I, there's some people on my team that wanted us to try to control everything. I mean, you got to pull them back a little bit. There's some people who are like, "This is so stupid! It's our know, freedom." You got to pull them. I mean, trying to find that middle. It's pretty important. So. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Um, but but trust communication is so vital. And, and again, um, yeah. You know, anything else that I could be helpful with? Um, and then a couple of, couple of thoughts towards the end here. Um, John Stone Street, do you know John Stone Street? Great point. Um, the Colson Center. John has this piece about being hard on ideas and soft on people. I think that is so vital. Um, I'll tell you another contentious one. We, uh, when I first became president, we had a food service. And um, anyway, we've had it for 30 years. And they, they just weren't going to be able to get us there long term. Um, but a year before I became president, um, they sold the company. It was our campus was the only place it had, it, and they sold it to a kid who worked for him. He had been my student ten years before in entrepreneurship class, and his final exam, he wrote a business plan for a campus food service. And he just bought the company a year before I became president. And he thought it was great because he just bought the company, and he, I was his professor. And the first year, I said, no, we're going to put it off for bid, and their company didn't get chosen. And I had to let this kid down, and his parents came to see me, and, and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I just sat with his parents, um, and just, they wept in my office. And my board chair said something, me at the time, he goes, you have a you have the ability to, to just see people. and um, I didn't know I had that. My wife would not say that I had that. So that <laughs> um, but... But sometimes, you just have to sit and grieve with people. Um, and his parents you know, first yelled at me for 15 minutes about this horrible decision we'd made to change food services because we were going to leave this kid and he'd been my student. And i just take it, take it, take it. And then say, I'm sorry. Um, not about the decision, but I'm just sorry that that hurts. And just then let them weep in your office. That piece, for me, I've done that with employees that we've had to fire. I've done that with yeah, some donors that have been angry. Um, but not trying to, to, to get in that, that office when it's time for you as a head of school to take it, and not try to win, but just to absorb. It. And then to find ways to remain healthy as a, as a head of school in that environment too, so it just doesn't eventually just wear you down. I think that's what, what, what Stone Street's talking about there in terms of soft these. Uh, Brian Madison, John, regularly talks about this. Is Christians need to learn to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can say things, and this is what I would say about what we're playing in terms of the long game, or neither do I condemn you to go and sin no more. Like, neither do I condemn you to go and sit no more Is a walk and chew gum thing, right? This is true, and this is true. Or, yes, you can believe in 624-hour day creation, but we're gonna make you look through a telescope. Both of those things are true at the same time, and that's walking and chewing gum. And I just think there's some people out there like John and Brian, who on contentious matters in a world that the the middle, if you will, is getting thinner and thinner, there are people that can speak into your life um, to be able to do it well. And again, um, I think the humility that Christ talks about in terms of the log in your own eye uh, versus the speck in others, boy, I don't know exactly how to live that out perfectly, um, but I do think that we have to pay attention to passages um, like that as well. This has been cathartic for me, I guess. and, and I hope it's been of value to you. Um, I, I really thank you all for, for how you're leading in your schools. Um, if it was at all valuable to you, the, the way you can thank me the most is, is send some kids on a campus visit. Um, Dort's, there are about 30 colleges in America that I think your graduate team would be at, and Dort's one of them, but Dort's not the only one. Um, but I really do. If you believe in Christian education, like every day people come to your school and they choose you instead of free. Just don't let that stop after grade 12, please. I know we're not free and neither is Michigan State or Iowa State or anything else, but we're different than Michigan State or Iowa State as much as you're different from the community school. And if you care about that, just get them on a campus visit. Um, Yeah, I'm a graduate of Iowa State, at my graduate level. There's a reason that God has big research on universities as well, but what we do builds on what you do, Um, and one of my main measurements at Doherty is that 94% of our graduates come all the way out, um, say that they're engaged members of a local congregation, and that's what we wanted to do. Um, So just ask them to come on campus visit the door. It's not that far. Uh, It's a great community. Um, thank Thank you.